0: so nice. Amen. You worship like that. Man, I can just tell everyone came with their hearts prepared. Amen. I know our Heavenly Father is pleased with that. Let's sing this song together. The Days of Elijah. These
1: are the days Are the days of Elijah declaring the word of the Lord? And these are the days of your servant Moses' righteousness being restored. These are the days of great trial. Of famine and darkness and sorrow, still we are the voice in the desert crying. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Behold, He comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet's call, lift your voice. out of Zion till salvation comes. These are the days of Ezekiel, for the dry bones becoming as flesh. And these are the days of your servant David rebuilding the temple of praise. These are the days of the harvest, oh, the fields are as wide in the world, and we are the laborers in your vineyard, declaring the word of the Lord. Behold, he comes, riding on the cloud, shining like the sun, at the trumpets call. out of Zion till salvation comes. There's no God like Jehovah. 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 No like Holy Riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. Oh, lift your voice, it's the hero to believe. And out of Zion's hill, salvation come, let's sing Jehovah again. There's no god like Jehovah. There's no god like Jehovah. There's no god like Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah 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 Behold, holy, be Riding on the clouds Shining like the sun had the trumpets call Lift your voice Hear to the meek And out of Zion's salvation comes every praise let's sing it every praise is to our God every word of worship in one accord every praise every praise oh it's to our God that's right sing hallelujah to our God Glory, hallelujah, to our God. Every prayer, every prayer. Lord, to our God. And God, my Savior. And God, my healer. And God, my deliverer. Yes, yes. God, my Savior, God, my healer, God, my deliverer, yes, he is, yes, he is, and every praise is to our God, every word of worship, oh, every praise, every praise. It's to our God, sing hallelujah to our God. Oh, glory, hallelujah to our God. Every pray, every pray. Oh, it's to our God. Hallelujah now. God, my Savior, God, my God my Deliverer, yes He is.
0: a healer and a deliverer. Amen. He can deliver you, whatever's troubling you. Amen. Just let it go in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We're going to change the order of our service at this time. Amen. And take our special needs to the throne. And I'm going to ask Brother Andy Irish if he would make his way forward to take these needs to the Lord for us. Amen. I have a special need here to pray for Sister Mary Smith, who is not feeling well this morning. Man, I know she's been recovering, her and Brother Richard. not uh, have been able to attend service lately. They've been streaming, so we certainly miss them. Our heart goes out to them. So let's remember her in prayer. Man, we certainly miss the Paschal family. Man, we want to remember Brother Joe uh, Paschal and his recovery. Man, I hear he's doing much better, but we'll keep, the, keep on the firing line and praying for him. Amen. Uh, If you'd remember Sister Amber McCall in your prayers, she's also not feeling well today. Amen. Uh, Brother Mitchell put in a special unspoken prayer request, so we'll remember him in that special need at this time. I want to remember the Sylvester family. They're not with us today. I think they're in Arizona. So let's uh, remember them in prayer. God would grant them traveling mercies. Amen. Do you have unspoken prayer requests? by The uplifted of hands. Amen. We're going to pray with you, friends. Come on, Brother Andy.
2: Precious and lovely Lord Jesus. Lord, our heads are bowed from the dust of the earth where you have taken us, Lord Jesus. And Father, we approach your throne of grace, your throne of mercy. And Father, we we ask that you wouldn't look at us, Father, but that you would look at that sacrifice. Because by faith, Lord, we lay our hands upon that sacrifice. We identify ourselves with that sacrifice that you made for us at Calvary, Lord. And we're thankful, Father, that you took our sins, you took our mistakes, you took our failures and our weaknesses. And, Lord, with open arms, you said it is finished. And so, Father, we rely upon that that, that sacrifice that you made for us. We would ask, Lord Jesus, that you would hear us through that blood, Father. Lord, you heard the prayer requests that were made, Father. Lord, we think of Mary Smith. We think of Joe Pascal, Father. Both are, are post of this virus, Lord. And we would ask, Father God, that you would draw near to each of those individuals, Father. And you would strengthen them in body. You would strengthen them in mind, Father. Be with the caregivers, Brother Richard, Lord, and Sister Lisa. Lord, give them strength, Father. Give them comfort. Give them peace. Give them wisdom to know what to do, what the next step is, Father. And, Lord, we pray for Amber McCall, not feeling well. We ask that you would just minister to her need right now, Father. Lord, we think of the Sylvesters, they're traveling, Father. Be with them, Lord. Put a fiery wall of the Word around them, Father, and keep them safe. Lord, we think of Mitchell, Father, who has an unspoken prayer request. Many hands have gone up, Lord, when it was asked who has one as well. Father, what is unspoken to us is spoken to you, Father. And so, Lord, may you meet that need. May you meet the need of Brother Mitchell, Father. And may you make it clear to him, Father, that you answered that prayer. And, Lord, those that raised our hands, Father, meet our needs, Father. Not necessarily our wants, Lord, but our needs. And, Father, as we change the order of this service, as we get ready to to hear the word, Lord, we ask that you bless the worship service. Lord, come, anoint this service today, Father. Anoint each and every individual here. Anoint the man of God that will stand behind this pulpit, that will speak the words of life, Father. And I pray you would open up our minds, you would open up our hearts in a way never before. Grant us revelation of your word that would cause us to walk closer to thee. And we ask it all in
0: the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Brother Andy. You can have your seats. Sister Kristen has a special force this morning. As she's making her way, we'll just sing that song. Brother Keith, you're playing there.
1: You have
0: been my strength in times of trouble
1: a tower of my enemies Lord, I will Your peace will lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And hear my prayer, O Lord, from the ends of the earth I cry. Peace will lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my strength in times of trouble. A tower above my enemies. And Lord, I will
3: abide.
1: i
0: appreciate that special sister Christian Thank, Thank you very much. Amen. such such a beautiful song. Amen. A powerful message. Amen. We can make it through with him. You believe it. Amen. Let's stand at this time. We're going to invite our pastor to make his way forward. I think a fitting song would be his strength is perfect. Amen.
1: I can do all things. Christ who gives me strength, but sometimes I wonder what he can do through me. No great success to show.
4: Sounds so nice. Let's go to him in prayer this morning. We got a couple of requests that I want to bring to you, and one of them is uh, for uh, the male family not here today. Annie's not feeling good, so we want to remember her in prayer. And there's also a brother uh, from Brother Steve's church up in Virginia. His name is Gerald Crowell, and uh, he's been diagnosed with cancer, and we want to remember him in prayer. His situation is not good. But uh, we know a God who is all-powerful, and so we appeal to him and his mercies today and just trust that he will undertake uh, for him. So as we bow our heads together this morning in prayer, I want you just to bring your request as well and uh, the ones that Brother Jaron read this morning. Heavenly Father, we approach your gro- throne of grace and mercy today. and Lord, it's just—it's just so wonderful to come into the sound of the saints worshiping Lord, and not just singing uh, the song, Lord, as nice as it is, but to be able to worship in spirit and in truth, and to be able to to know our Maker and to be able to sense Your presence among us. Father, I pray today as we begin, and we just open our hearts to you, that you would forgive us of anything at all, anything in any way that may have grieved the Holy Spirit, or anything, Lord, that we have done wrong, anything we harbor that might be contrary to your presence now. Forgive us, I pray, Lord, and Father, may we just have a determination in our heart that we want to do your will in everything, Lord, and we come and cast all of our requests to you because we know that you do care for us. We pray now that you administer to these who are sick and these who need your touch, Lord, those who are suffering loss, and those, Lord Jesus, who listening today, Lord, they may need your help in a very special or a personal way. Father, bless this gathering, I pray, of your people. This is your word. These are your people. And I pray you bring the two together, that you might be glorified in all we do. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. God bless you. Certainly good to have you with us today. Thank you, musicians. That'll be just great. Appreciate you uh, being here today. And uh, I do have this, uh, Jeremy, so we're good. Um, I got a lot of hay on my fork here today, so I'm going to just say right at the outset, we are uh, honored. I'm honored to be here today and to see you all again. May God bless you. It was really nice last week to be able to get away. Uh, Traveling is not the same as what it used to be, and uh, it was just really nice to be able to get away, though, just for a few days and just step back from the busyness of things. And uh, it's good to be back with you and to see you again. Um, We uh, just wanted to say a couple of things that I don't have pictures for, and that is uh, that we are uh, nearing the end of our renovation for the sanctuary. Uh, Don't go in. Don't look. Uh, but we're nearing the end of that, and uh, Brother Ben and his all of his crew have done a tremendous job, and uh, we appreciate that very much. The sanctuary is going to be different. It's going to be very different to what you're used to, uh, and we're going to uh, have some changes in relation to seating and everything else, so we'll let you know about all of that. But uh, the crew has worked very hard. It looks really great, and uh, I think it's going to be a real uh, blessing and a real improvement uh, even, even the screens, the old big screen is gone out of the center of the place. I mean, it's all different, and, and we're, just, we're just excited about it all. Um, I wanted to uh, jump in, though, and, and bring you some things here right away uh, that we can um, inform you of, and then I want to jump into the Word this morning. I, I'll get this out of the way. This is my hand. Uh, this is my left hand, and I uh, have it with me today. I brought it and uh brother Andy helped wrap it this morning so it wouldn't be so it was it was all big and ugly so he wrapped it very inconspicuously so we get that out of the way all right i, I have both my hands uh i appreciate everybody's concern and the and the uh emails and texts and the flowers and everything else i got flowers and i you know what they were great uh really nice and i appreciate that very much and uh all the uh, concern and hopefully this is a, a fix for the for the problem and it feels better already. I can do this and I just have two weeks where they're going to let it uh, where it's supposed to heal up and um, then get those stitches out. We'll be on the way. Brother Caleb, great to have you today. Uh, after months of work buried away in that uh, in that apartment, good to have you with us today and for all of you, good to have all to see all of you here today and um, may the Lord richly bless you. February 28th is a big day today. It's the wedding anniversary of the Walters. And uh, they're not with us here today. And may God bless them. Uh, Cohen Pritchard's birthday is today. Cohen, wait, he, Cohen waited a whole year for this moment. How old are you today, Cohen? Nine years old. Wow. You hold out for the big birthday today, buddy. And Joel Johnson's birthday. And Joel's not here. Joel has a true Leap year birthday, right? So this is, we don't have a 29th this year, so he gets in on the 28th. He's the only guy I know has a real leap year birthday, so he's still a teenager. March 3rd is Peter and Rachel's uh, anniversary. How many years? No, How many? Nine years? Wow. Wonderful. God bless you both. We appreciate Rachel and Peter. And then March 4th is Johnny Reynolds' birthday. Brother Johnny, how old are you? 67. 67 and holding. God bless you. Speaking about birthdays, uh, Brother Aaron and Sister Trish are home. The whole family's home. And uh, they're uh, watching this morning. This is Runya Yarrow. You, Ningamaza. Learn it, learn it well. Brother Aaron's going to teach us how to say that properly. It, it's a beautiful uh, greeting in Zimbabwean in the Zimbabwean culture, and it means peace and blessing, shalom, uh, to somebody. Uh, he can explain how this works. But this may uh, this is, is not you, It's you, and uh, it's it's a, a beautiful name. But she's just a, a real treasure. I'll tell you what, uh, it's just a blessing. All right, Brother Anwar and his crew have been working diligently to get books spread out in Pakistan. So I just wanted to show you some of the uh, faces of the people who are receiving books over there. And uh, these are now going far and wide. So they're going in the uh, many churches that are scattered around the country over there, and they're pretty excited. Uh, I love this picture. And uh, they're all uh, all showing their books over there. Now, this is a, a great thing for them because they have about a 70% illiteracy rate in the country of Pakistan. So Brother Anwar years ago began, when he came in the message, he began a Bible reading program uh, that taught the people how to read. And if they could read by the end of the instruction, they got their own free Bible. And now they get a Bible and a church age book. So they're, they're pretty excited. But he started that program years ago when he was there. He came in the message about uh, 2000. And uh, he started that right away because there was such a high literacy rate in there. But among the believers, it's disproportionately low because of what Brother Anwar did in teaching the people how to read and hold classes. So when that caught on, it, it caught on among all the churches around the country. So they have a very high literacy rate in that, in that part of the world. And they're uh, able to read. So they're just excited about it now, about now having these books uh, in their own language over there. Now, uh, you remember our familiar face, Brother uh, Angelus over here on, the ver- on, on your left. Uh, Brother Angelus works in the Southern part of Tanzania. This is a heavily populated, very poor, very um, uh, disconnected part of the world. Uh, they're kind of in their own, their own world altogether uh, over in this uh, part of, of Tanzania. I've never been down there. It's on the border of Mozambique, and it goes all, along the whole length of uh, the nation of Tanzania if you look at it on the map. <coughs> Brother Angelus, um, he's the fellow who years ago we bought tires for his vehicle because he literally drove the tires off his, off his car. He was just on rims and uh, had no money. So we support him monthly as part of our mission uh, program over there. And uh, he has been evangelizing and going into certain areas. This is just a glimpse into one of his trips here. And he uh, found this little group that embraced the message. They all received it, the pastor. Everybody came into the message all at the same time. These pictures that I'm going to show you now, uh, some of them happened this morning. So this is fresh off the press here. On the right, some of you will remember, this is Brother Exaud. And Brother Exaud, uh, it was a, 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 he still is a, a missionary over there and a great friend of Brother I Peters. Uh, done, does great work, travels extensively. And he went down to visit Brother Angelus and held these meetings down there. This is their church they had enough money to build walls but they didn't have enough money to finish the roof and so they just put rafters up there but they had to stop and so they've been worshipping in this place for a long time and now they um now they all embrace the message and came in so whatever support they had uh is gone now it's dissolved because they uh embraced the message so once they embrace the message over there they're disconnected from the denomination and everything else and they're on their own and so this is their uh, this is their building, and they're just really excited now about the newfound faith. And uh, I, I I thought wow this is this is just uh, tremendous you know to see them come in. I posted these pictures this morning on my way down. Uh, My wife drove when we entered North Carolina. My wife drove for a little bit. And so um, I posted a couple of these pictures. And by the time I got to church, the money was raised already by different ministers and churches to put a roof on their building and and take care of it. So that's already done. And we're thankful for that. And I told Brother Elias yesterday, just in faith, I said, you go ahead and find out tomorrow what the price of a roof is. And we'll, we'll help them out and make sure that they get their building sealed up there. And, uh, so again, you can look at the countryside. I mean, this is, this is pretty rough. And uh, you talk about the Muddy Jordan. These are six sisters who were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ this weekend. This is a picture from today, and they were baptized uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so these folks are just excited. I mean, they're more excited about the message than the roof, that's for sure. They don't even know about the roof yet, but uh, they're excited about the message, and they're just uh, embracing it. And then they begin to spread that around the, the community down there, which is really great. Watch this quote. This is not part of the sermon this morning, but I want you to watch this quote. In 1963, Brother Branham says, I have greatly enjoyed the congregation, your fine response to the ministry. He's out in Arizona somewhere. He's at the beginning of the service. He said your response to the messages and the great things that God has done for us, it's just unlimited. And we'll never know what it's meant until we cross the other side because seed has been planted that will come to life in the days ahead of us. We'll never know. And that's really true. We'll never know as a congregation all of what you've given and all of what's been done. You'll never know what that's meant until they get over on the other side. And they'll say, Oh, whoa, are you from HBT? Wow. I got a book, or I got a tract, or we had a minister visit our church, or whatever else. You'll never know those stories. And. You know, it's one thing to say that, right? Because uh, this is really true—that there are seeds being planted, there are things being done in the lives of people that you may have a part in, but you never really see—you uh, know—you never really see anything tangible as a result of that. Many has been healed. Probably at this moment knows nothing about it, and after a while you find out it's gone. So <clears throat> this is Brother Branham now, and he's saying many times he goes into meetings, and there's supernatural things done among our congregation. He doesn't even know anything about it. He's gone to the next meeting, and people the following week are being, uh, discovering, wow, I don't have that sickness anymore, that lump is gone, or whatever else, and they're, you know, they're thankful for that. He never hears about those things. He never knows about that, because he's gone. He's moved on to another place. And many of those people would never have the opportunity to tell him in person. And he said, uh, and we find out that so much, it isn't just what you see happen. You never know what's going to happen, what will happen as a result of it. So just because you can't see it doesn't mean that God's not doing something. All right? And then sometimes God will give you a little glimpse into something and let you see that what, what, you, what you've done or what, in what way you've helped, it's brought results. Okay? Let me tell you a little testimony. In the year 2000, between 2000 and 2005... Uh, I travel extensively with Brother Lonnie Jenkins, and we went into Russian-speaking countries. We went other places, but we traveled in the 11 nations that speak Russian that were the former Soviet Union Empire. And we traveled there and helped establish the message, and Brother Lonnie was really used of God to help teach the people and establish them in the current faith. While we were over there, we made good friends, and there was a brother who was there. Uh, this, This is Brother Slava. And he lives in Ukraine. He lived on the coastline. He was a a dock worker, big guy, strong guy, but he got tuberculosis. And uh, it was very common over there. And uh, he was put in, not an asylum, what? No, 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 no. Uh, He was put in a a sanatorium for 11 years uh, where he was recovering from tuberculosis. And... uh, when he was there, lost everything. He wasn't married. Uh, he was a single fellow, but he's, he, was, he was older and uh, didn't have family. His family kind of forsaken him when he came into the message and uh, didn't have any possessions. He really, literally just had a bed, and he told me he had a little locker that he would put his coat in. But most often, if he put things in his locker and left the, the building, every, everything would be stolen. So he literally had nothing except the clothes that he had on his back. And he would slip out of the sanatorium and come to the meetings. And uh, he was there, and I met him, and we talked and fellowship with, and I, I, I took an interest in him because I just felt so bad for him. Uh, you know, there was he was getting treatment, uh, but there was just really not much that was happening positive in his life, and he was very downcast about that. And he says, uh, "Dear Brother Barry," and he wrote me this week. Uh, on Thursday, I got this email, and I hadn't seen him for 18 years, probably, 17 or 18 years. Hadn't seen him, hadn't heard anything about him, uh, never knew anything about what happened to him after that. Because when I uh, met him, he was still in the uh, in the sanatorium. First, he said, I'd like to thank you for the sacrifice that your brother showed for us. As for me, it was not just some support, but something that was strengthening. And behind my shoulders, 11 years of a tubercular hospital uh, inpatient. So he was in inpatient. They uh, they had determined he had tuberculosis. Allowing myself sometimes to run away from there to get to the convention, it was a precious time for me, having fellowship around the word and being with the saints. It was like we were singing, uh, "We will stay in favor and we'll go again." It's a Russian song. God alone knows how it was, and that's how they say the word how. It's ha. Uh, it's with an a. And when I was in that hospital for those 11 years. But he is the one he, who is faithful. And I'm sending photos, he said, in illness, as well as after the Lord brought me out of that hell. This is my precious family. Now, uh, pardon the vernacular, but I stayed in a sanatorium one time because they didn't have hotels in the town. There was, there was not many tuberculosis patients, so they converted the sanatorium into a hotel. It looked, felt, smelled operated like a sanatorium, but it was a hotel, and we stayed there. It was the place where when you turned on the water, the first color you got was black, and it went to brown, and it went to gray, and it went to cloudy, and then it went to clear. And uh, that was the way the water was in that place. Anyway, he stayed there for 11 years. This is my uh, precious family, which I've received from God's hand. He says, may God strengthen you and those that are listening and so forth. And so he, he sent me these two pictures of currently married, got two young kids, and he just looks so happy, uh, just such a difference. And I, I was thinking, I was really touched by that uh, testimony that he gave, and I was just, um, just really blessed. Now look at the quote again. He says, We'll never know what it's meant until we cross the other side, because seeds been planted that will come to life in the days ahead of us. And many has been healed, probably at this moment, knows nothing about it. After a while, you find out it's gone. We find out find so much, it isn't just what we see happen and never know what's going to happen, what will happen as a result of it. So over that time that I knew Brother Slava, we, I, I became interested in his sickness and so forth and helping him. And I brought over uh, vitamins and, and remedies, everything that I could, because he had nothing. And so we brought over things for him, and uh, sister Sarah braun uh, was uh, knowledgeable about that, and she sent me a bunch of stuff and I uh, brought it over and we uh, helped him uh, that 's what he was talking about the medicines he said it was strengthening for him and uh, that's what we did over those uh, over those years and over time uh, he recuperated from that and was healed, and uh, you know went on to um, get married and i i mean I, I would just i was just so so blessed to, uh, to have that testimony, because sometimes you know you just don't know what effect you have on a people's life, you know. And uh, you know, if for some of you folks, you think, well, I'm not really a part of that directly, but you know, you give a little money or you're involved in something else that's there, maybe travel a little, and then down the road you realize what it meant to people for you to take an interest in their in their cause, you know, in their situation. So uh, I just threw that in there as an encouragement for you to uh, to realize that. Uh, even though you can't see it, God's at work in the lives of people, and you're very much a part of that. Let's stand to our feet. Let's go to uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, if you will, and uh, we'd like to read a little passage there. Sorry for taking so much time there, but um, you never had it last week. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we'll just read a little passage there. Appreciate it, Brother Aaron, taking the service last uh, last Sunday there for us. I had lots of good comments, and it was a real blessing. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 9. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. May the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated. All right. In the, in the vernacular of a university student, when they do a class that say Math 101, they go on to the next class, it's usually math 102, and they'll carry on that way until they get to their second year, and then it's 201, they start again, 202, and and so forth. I jump from 101 to 201, because I feel like you folks graduated from the f- first year of classes in prophecy, and so we're going to jump right to 201. I'm wanting to get to four, okay, and uh, get to 401, but I'm jumping here Uh, because I know you folks are familiar with prophecy. It's kind of a byword for us. Uh, We don't need to explain or justify the fact that God sent a prophet, and we have an open book because we have had a prophet, and great things have been done in this last day and shown to us because we have had a prophet. How many can say amen? Now, um, as a result of that, I'm going to jump into an area that I trust that you'll catch, uh, by God's grace, if we can do this today, and I want you to uh even though, even though I'm familiar to you and you're familiar to me, I want, you to, um, I want you to just make the assumption that God has something for you in this today and that you want to get it and not miss it. Okay? That's the approach that I want you to take, that God has something for you today in this. And uh, I, want, I want you to be reaching out for that to get it because uh, our time, I believe, on this earth, is a valuable thing. It's becoming a valuable thing. We, we should really treasure our times together in service. All right? And so there, there are lots and lots of things that uh, can open up when we graduate from this prophecy course that we're doing. All right? This prophecy lesson uh that we're doing a lot of these things are, are things that you're familiar with and I'm going to skim over a few basics here but I want you to stay with me because if we can catch certain principles here that God's given to us in this subject, all kinds of other things open up. And it's just amazing how many other things are connected with this idea. So don't underestimate or don't lay aside the fact that maybe this is not relevant to you. This is relevant to you because prophecies were made about you. There are things that God has said about you that are very specific and they're very personal to you. They're made, there's prophecies made about Israel, there's prophecies made about the church, there's prophecies made about Rome and all the rest of it. But there are also prophecies made about you. And, and so therefore, uh, God wants you to understand how valuable and how special those prophecies are and how valuable those statements are. And then when you know that uh, something is of God, uh, then, my goodness, uh, you can walk forward with confidence, right? When we know that God is actually behind something, uh, then we can uh, walk with confidence into the future because we know uh, that God has something uh, special in store for us. And as we mentioned before, prophecies don't fail. If it, if it is God speaking, prophecies don't fail. Now, I would like to say this. I don't believe that there are many new prophecies coming forth today. I believe that most prophecies about the end time and about the people of God in the end time have already been made. So we don't need to come up with new ones. That's not our job. We're not teaching you how to prophesy. Uh, this, is, this is moving a, a above the gift of prophecy in the church to a vindicated prophet. That's a big difference, right? A million miles difference, what Brother Branham said. That between a gift of prophecy that would operate in a church, like, uh, you know, lo and behold, Keith, don't drive down this road. There's a bridge washed out down there. And, you know, there's specific prophecies that were related to in-house, uh, you know, actions and so forth, warnings that, that would be given. But a prophet is a different thing, right? Everybody clear on that? That was one-on-one. A prophet is, is on a different level than the gift of prophecy in the church. Not that either one of them are bad or wrong. But a, when a prophet comes, he is essentially just like this. He's a microphone that God steps up to and speaks, and what he says then matters. Are we okay? Now, you to—you got to reckon with that. you got to deal with that, right? Uh, if, if he was truly a real prophet of God, like the Old Testament prophets, or like the Apostle Paul back there, if he was really a prophet, then you've got to deal with that and decide if it is of God, then you know what? I've got a responsibility now to carry out what God's actually telling me to do, what God is requesting or desiring of me. If it's not a real prophet, and we have some tests that the Bible gives us about whether it's a real prophet or not. If it's not a prophet, then you really don't need to worry. You can put it on the shelf. And if your judgment about that was wrong, you know what? God will even bring that back to you and allow you to be able to embrace the truth, because the elect is not going to be deceived, right? So we have that assurance. But if it is a real prophet, then you got to you got to reckon with that. You got to deal with that and say, you know what? Uh, He brought us back to the true baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the Book of Acts. Nobody was ever baptized in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost. No one ever was. Matter of fact, nothing was ever done in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. It was always done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. A prophet restored us back to that. you got to deal with that. You young people that are here, uh, if you've never been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, it is a requirement. It is one of the three uh, one of the three ordinances that you need to fulfill. And you got to do it the Bible way, or it doesn't count. Yes, there are things that you can do in the name of God that don't count. And that's one of them, if you're not baptized correctly. We have the right formula. We have the right facility. We have the person who will baptize you. And so, therefore, you've got to reckon with that. Are we okay? The prophet restored us to that. So there's no question, there's no debate about that. There are prophecies, though, that are made on a more general level about the direction of the world, where things are going, Uh, nothing really about our times or the times ahead, shock God. Let me say it again. There's nothing about our time, there's nothing about the times ahead that shocks God. Guess what? He knew it all even before we got to today. Even before we arrived at this Sunday, God knew exactly what everything was going to be like. He knew exactly what, uh, you know, how we got to where we are, and you know what? He knows what tomorrow holds. He knows what tomorrow holds for this church, this nation, and for you as an individual. He's got it already done. Do you believe that? And if that's true, if that's true, then you know what? It pays for us to know what God is actually saying or what God is declaring about that future that we don't see yet, so that we can walk with confidence towards it. If you were not sure about where we were going you may say well you know wouldn't it be sensible for us to uh, join up with a bigger denomination or a church or a system or unite all the people together hey we're not being pointed to that we're not being we're not being led to do that right there's nothing in the in the in the realm of prophecy that indicates that we should do that hey the sons of god are led by the spirit of god so therefore nothing has changed that we still are led by the Spirit of God, right? We find, though, that these, these prophecies, these things that are, uh, that are happening now, that are unfolding now, uh, they, they are, um, there are certain generations that are called to turn corners. Every generation is not called to turn a corner. But we are in that, we are in that uh, group that are called to turn, I believe, multiple corners. Not only come out of her, my people, and be separate, saith the Lord, uh, being called out, but we're also being called into something completely different than even this world here. We're not being just called out of a system, we are being called into a kingdom. How many would agree? The prophecies tell us about that. And the prophecies assure us that that's what's going on. You've got to know what prophecies really do come from God and what don't. Right? Right? We got to know what did God mean when He said this. What did God, uh, you know, what did God uh, intend when He when He made this certain statement here? The trap is that people will jump to conclusions about what those prophecies mean. All right, you know, I mean, (laughs) I I can. um, Why don't I just follow this because I get in trouble right here? But let's just let's just look at what He said. Jeremiah chapter 29, the Lord promised Jeremiah to promise the people who were going into captivity, there will be an end to the captivity, you will return. And that return is what I'm going to call, in the Bible, an expected end. It's not a guess. We know exactly where this is going to take us, the Babylon. How long? 70 years. After that, we come back. We come back to the land again, it's an expected end. It's not a questionable end. It's, a, it's an expected end. And that's what Jeremiah assured the people. You'll find that phrase all the way through uh, in the book of Jeremiah. He's still God, Brother Random said. He's right on schedule. The only thing for you to do is schedule your faith or align yourself with his being here, and it'll happen. You've got to recognize and, and accept the presence of God. You've got to believe and obey his word. Align yourself with that. And I will tell you what, you'll be walking in sync with Him. You know what? It doesn't really matter how long we have to walk on this earth as long as we're walking with Him. It doesn't really matter where He takes us as long as it's Him taking us, right? It doesn't really matter how hard it is because, you know, like Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Does God test us? Does God bring us to the brink something? Yes, He absolutely does. And mainly He does that to bring out character in us because where your destiny is taking you, where your path is taking you, you're going to need character. That's the only thing God's really interested in taking from this life. He's not interested in your wardrobe. He's not interested in your bank account. He's interested only in your character. And the way character is made is through the experiences of life and the things that you go through that cause uh, cause you to turn to Him, that cause you to obey Him, that correct your false thinking, and uh, cause you to let go of things that don't belong in that kingdom over there. God doesn't want you to be miserable throughout eternity. So He's hard at work right now, doing the surgery, doing the necessary work to get out of you what doesn't belong in you in that land to come. Everybody okay? Alright, so the thing for you to do is not to come up with anything you don't have to you don't have to uh design a plan we're not going to divide the church up into work groups here today and come up with a better plan to get out of here we don't need to do that god's got it already figured out you just walk with him all right everybody got it if he listen if we got to divide the church up into work groups i'm out I, i'm not i'm not a modern student at all uh, lucas was working you know with his in college and going through it and everything he did was a collaboration with a bunch of students And then he goes to work, and then everything's a collaboration. I'm thinking, wow, what happened in the old days when you went to school, took your own test, got your own grade? Now, I mean, it's like there's 10 or 12 people going across the platform getting a diploma at the same time. Forget that. I like the old days. Just, Just walk with him. You and him alone. Fall in love with him. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. And don't worry about the way the world is going. The world is going to throw some pretty crazy stuff at us before we get out of here. Don't worry about it. Just walk with him. Fall in love with him. Obey him. Don't try to make your, your uh, desires, don't try to make his word line up with your desires. Make your desire line up with his word. You know, whether it's marrying an unbeliever, whether it's a woman cutting her hair, or whether it's, you know, feeling like you're above the law and you don't need to pay your tithes or whatever else. Hey, listen, get that foolish thinking out of your head. Walk with God. Find out what His Word declares. Live in that. Love that with all your heart. And don't worry about what the world is doing. The world is falling apart. It's nuts. And you're not going to correct it. You're not going to pray it back onto a firm foundation. It's nuts. And it's getting nutsier every day, if that's a word. Sirs, is this a sign of the end? Every one of you, he says, cleanse your heart. Lay aside everything, every weight. Keep it out of your way. Don't let nothing bother you. Don't be scared. There's nothing to be scared about. If Jesus is coming, it's a moment the whole world groaned and cried for. If it's something breaking forth now, a new gift or something, it'll be wonderful. If it comes from God, it'll be wonderful. If it brings us forward, it'll be wonderful. One of the things that the circumstances in our world has done is to keep people apart. Right now that we're dealing with, it keeps people apart. we, We have to separate way more than what we want to separate and I'll I tell you what, I don't believe that's of God, because I believe God wants us to go forward. He wants us to go, uh, you know, to be together, to feel a part of a body, to feel a part of one another. I believe that God wants us to, to, to live that way. And Brother Random says that, you know, if Jesus is coming, if this is that which the Bible speaks about, then you have, number one, you have nothing to be scared about, because he is coming for you, number one. And number two, he's going to equip you with everything you need, not only to see him, but to walk with him, and to leave this world with Him. Right? So, you have nothing to worry about. If you're predestinated, you should be thankful for that, and that alone. And I will tell you something, if it's, if it's of God, if something is coming of, from God, uh, he, it'll be a wonderful thing. And there'll be revelation come with that. There'll be a peace come with that. There'll be a power that comes with that. There'll be a change in your vocabulary that comes with that. You should not make the assumption that just because I've been in this church all these years, that does I mean I'm automatically included in that number. Remember, remember, remember this. There's nothing that replaces a new birth. And a new birth puts you in harmony and in union with Christ, right? A new birth does that. It puts you in a relationship. Brother Graham said it starts a relationship with Christ. And there's, a, uh, there's a, a desire, not like the Pharisees had. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Right? He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's, it, the reason we follow and the reason we obey and the reason we strive to change is not because we have to, but because we love him and we love his word. All right? Everybody all right? We're still on board? Everybody okay? I can't hear you real good. Number one, my ears are plugged up. And number two, your voice is lost in this. So if you want to be loud, you're not going to stand out. You're okay. All right? If you want to be loud, say amen, or clap your hands, or do something, it'd be great. All right, so remember now, here's the instructions of a prophet, all right? 20th century prophet to a 20th century congregation, that's us. And he says, don't let nothing bother you, don't be scared, nothing to be scared about. Everybody believe that, say amen. amen. You've got to practice that. You've got to work at that. And you've got to get your eyes off the wrong thing in order to believe that and, and be confident with that, right? Because the world's message is full of... Trouble and tragedy, and you know, calamity upon calamity. But that's what Jesus said would happen in the last day, anyway. Oh my! He says, "What a time! It's serious and solemn thinking. It will, and it would be, and if it would be time for me to go, Lord, I'm yours. If it's time to go, and hey, Lord, I'm yours. This is up to you. I'm your son." Uh, you called me into this, and, and Lord, I'm your, I'm your child. When it's time to go, I'll go. When you're finished, come Lord Jesus. I don't say I desire to part. I don't. I've got a family to raise. I've got the gospel to preach, but that's according to his will, not mine. I don't know. I'm just stating to you what it is. What is, if, if, what is God will bring it to pass, but sirs, could this actually be that when God is shutting it down? And I don't know. I'm, I'm just—I'm throwing this quote out to you here, and you—you you reckon with that. You think about—is this—is this—this was 1962, but is this really the culmination of that? Is this really the end of what God prophesied about the end of the Gentile dispensation? Is this really that? I mean, are we really on the doorstep of this thing turning to the Jews? Remember, when it goes to the Jews, according to Revelation 11, there's no more for the Gentiles. There's no more grace for the Gentiles. There is a time when grace ends. There's a time when you can knock at the door of salvation and you, you'll find nothing, right? It'll be no different than you outside the ark when Noah in there and his family knocking on the outside. Noah didn't close the door. Noah couldn't open the door, right? And there will be a time when, and, and God does that. We don't, most people don't teach a God like that, but God will do that. God will shut it down, right? And so therefore there's, you know, hey, think about it this way. You remember when the children of Israel went across the Red Sea on dry ground? There came a point where the water went back. And if you weren't already over, you know what? You either went down in the flood or you stayed on the wrong side. I mean, we don't, we don't very often, you know, a, a world's interpretation of God is that God wouldn't do that. You know, God wouldn't, God wouldn't have that. And let me tell you, that is the way that God operates. He gives warning before judgment. This is your time of warning. This is our time of preparedness. This is the process God's putting us through. And this is what God is actually bringing to pass right now. And there will come an end point to this when God says they're all in. I, you know, I don't know about you, but I get excited about uh, those folks over in Africa, over there in a place where we can't even pronounce the name of their town. We only know roughly what part of the globe they're at. Here they are over there being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, just people in some village, in some, you know, church with no roof. And, uh, you know, they, they know what they know they could put in a thimble compared to what you know about the message of the hour. But you know what? You'd have to say they're believers. They believe what they heard and they acted on it, right? That makes them a believer. And they believe the word of the hour. They believe the call to baptism. They believe the truth that God has revealed to them. Even if it's only a little bit. They got it. They walked in it. They accepted it. They embraced it. And I believe that God will honor that. One day, somebody's going to come in, whether over there or over here. Somebody's going to come in and God will say, you know what? According to the roster, that's it. And he's going to shut it down. And so, this, this, there will come a time when this will be the end that Brother Benham talks about, questions and answers. Now he talks about the gift of prophecy versus prophecy with uh, a real prophet, and he, we've, we've touched that. Peter talks about, uh, in Second Peter chapter 1, which we talked a lot two Sundays ago, we have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well, that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn, the day star, rise in our hearts. So prophecies give us light to navigate, into the future we don't see. Right? That's what prophecy is. It's a light. It's a truth about where we're going. It is a light that guides our footsteps in a path that's totally dark because it hasn't happened yet. When a prophet says something, that's thus saith the Lord. When the prophecies are given in Scripture, it's like God is seeing it as clearly as you can see each other today. And it's going to happen. That prophecy acts as a light for us to get us to where God said we're going. Right? Okay? So in a, in a simplistic way, that's what, it, that's what it refers to. Brother Bram refers here and describes eagles. How when they fly higher, they're able to see better than the average bird. He said, therefore, if that's true, and if it's a prophet, last line, therefore, it pays us to take heed when we hear of the things that are approaching. So the sound of approaching hoofbeats... Is, is really critical for us. Because, you know what? We need to know. Is that the Holy Spirit coming for us? Or is that the devil coming against us? Is what I'm telling you true and preparing you to leave here? Or is this just a big distract, distraction and a smokescreen? And you got to think about that. It, Brother Ram said it pays you to take heed to what's taking place. I'd love to be able to sit down with every one of you and discuss it and say, you know, what do you really think of all of these prophecies and what, what, are, what are being said here? And there are thousands and thousands of, 30% of the Bible deals with prophecies about things that hadn't happened yet. And so there, there are many, many things here that uh, are extraordinary because uh, it's God looking at a future that hasn't even unfolded yet. But here it is coming to pass. Now, we happen to live in a time where lots of things are happening all at once. Jeremiah same thing God is sovereign Job 23 he said he is in one mind and who can turn him and what his soul desireth, even that he doeth for he performeth the thing that is appointed for me and many such things are with him in the same way that God designed Job's life and the things that happened to him God designed that you would be here in the last day experiencing the things that you were experiencing and That word ordained is a uh, common word we find through Scripture. It means to place somebody. It means to assign a place for everything. So when God appoints men to destruction, or when God appointed you for this last day, he, he, He knew there was a reason you would need to be here at this particular point in time, even if you don't see it. We find this word used many, many times in Scripture, and you can go back and review these if you want to write all, these, write all of these down. So, <clears throat> trying to do God a service. Now, God has set his word, his word set, and has in all ages. God has his word set already. In every age, God set things in a certain order. His knowledge has caused him to set in the church and in people certain things that he did from the beginning. And then the gospel that's being preached to that age is only revealed to that certain people, the rest of them don't see it. And see, that's predestination. It's by foreknowledge. He knew, he knew what you would do. He predestinated you to a certain age and knew how you would respond to the uh, word when it came in your, your day, right? He, he, knew, he knew that. He already knew that. He knew how you would react to it. He knew whether you'd amen it, whether you'd text me on the phone and, and, uh, and, and let me know that you agree with that that knowledge that God gives us of the events of our day is really, really critical. In Hosea chapter 4, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. They are destroyed because thou hast rejected knowledge, and I will also reject thee that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing that thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, and I also forget thy children. As they were increased, so they sinned against me. Therefore will I change their glory into shame. My people, Hosea says, were destroyed because a of lack of discernment about everything that was happening to them. Remember, these minor prophets were prophets to the captivity. And the reason that we have the judgment cycle in the world back in that day, the reason that we are where we are in Babylon is because people failed to discern what was going on around them. They fail to have an understanding of what God was really doing. They have rejected knowledge. Let's say it this way, really simply about our time. You really don't have an excuse if you reject this message because of its complexity. God didn't bring it in a complex way. God brought it in a very simple, orderly way. When you look at Brother Branham's Branham's life, it was a simple life. You look at the development of his ministry from the first pole all the way to the end of his days... It was a logical, simple progression from one thing to another. Uh, you, you couldn't get lost in these long words. Uh, you couldn't get lost in the fact that you didn't have a theology degree. And uh, I mean, we're really without excuse when it comes to not understanding basic English because that's how he spoke and that's how it was presented to us. But remember now, you're not in this because you're smarter than other people. You're in this because God has revealed his word to you. We are not here because we're smarter. We're not here because we're more intelligent. We are here because God predestinated you to hear and quicken that word when you heard it. Yes. Glory to God. And that's what, thats to me, that's a cause for rejoicing when we uh, realize that uh, God has chosen me and God has spoken a word. And that word has found a resting place. That, God has, that, that word has found a, 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 a nest in my heart. And the Holy Spirit quickens that word and makes it alive. Therefore, we are not in this because we are convinced. We are not in this because we are persuaded. We are not in this because we are smart enough to figure it out where it's all going. We are in this because there's something in it I cannot deny. It reveals to me one who I love with all of my heart, and I don't want to leave. I don't want to walk away. There are lots of people who are looking at the Bible and looking at the message. And, look, and I guarantee you, they're looking at the message and they're looking at prophecies and they're looking at world events and they're looking at decisions made by governments. They're looking at the economy very carefully. And they know, many of them have a good understanding of where this is going to wind up in the cosmos, in the world. You are the, you are the group of people that stand here on the earth and say, I know also where the cosmos is going to wind up. A prophet told us the world was falling apart in 1962, and it hasn't stopped since then. It's still more fractured now than it ever was. But I can also tell you where the people of God who are redeemed are going to wind up. And it's not going to be in this falling apart world. It's going to be in a kingdom that cannot be shaken and cannot be moved. It's going to be an eternal kingdom. And we have an eternal house over there. And nothing's going to prevent us from getting there and staying there once we get there. And you've got that insight. Not because you're smarter. But because God has quickened that word to us. And it's a glorious thing. It's a glorious thing. People are destroyed because of lack of knowledge. Prophecy, I broke it down into four categories reproving and admonishing the wicked, comforting the afflicted. You remember when Elijah said to Ahab, you know, that and Jezebel that the dogs would lick her blood and so forth, he reproved the wicked. Comforting the afflicted. You remember when Elijah went to the widow woman whose barrel was about to run dry, and he said, to you, your, your barrel will not run dry. Thirdly, revealing things hidden. That's what a prophet does. He's a foreteller and a forth teller. He's a foreteller. He tells things ahead of time. But he's also a forth teller, letting us know things that are happening that are thus saith the Lord. This is that. You remember when Peter came out on the day of Pentecost. Remember? And he went back to the book of Joel, and he said, this is that which the prophets have said, your young men shall dream dreams. Right? And you know, he, he, he placed, he was a fourth teller of the word for that particular hour. Hey, wake up. This is it. This is what, I, this is what uh, uh, Amos was talking about. This is or Joel was talking about. This is exactly what the prophets said. This day, the scripture is fulfilled. And the, the, this is what prophets do. They reveal things that are hidden. They foretell future events. It's also an expression of the divine mind. Let's stay on number three for a moment here and talk about revealing the things that are hidden. Now, <clears throat> when Jesus went out and departed from the temple, his disciples came. Would you take your Bible and go to Matthew 24? Would that be all right? I don't mean to tax anyone here. Matthew 24. You're familiar with this, and I know you are. What starts out seemingly to them which would be an innocent conversation or an innocent set of questions, Jesus expounds on a period of time that was going to, a series of events that was going to take 2,000 years to unfold. Now, they didn't know that. They didn't know that this is going to take 2,000 years. They're still thinking imminent overthrow. Let's throw the Romans out. I mean, isn't that why you're really here? That's kind of underneath what the question is. Aren't you really here to take the kingdom back, the kingdom of Israel back, make it like it was in the days of David and Solomon, and throw these Romans out? I mean, isn't that really why? But go ahead and do it. That's what they wanted. They didn't want to have to pay taxes to Rome any further. And this question comes up several times. Jesus said unto them, See not not all of these things, and verily I say unto you, that there shall not be left one stone upon another, and shall shall not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Okay, explain now what you're actually talking about. When shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming? And thirdly, about the end of the world. You're answering in a a way that we need to have some enlightenment here about. And if you don't mind, tell us the answer to these questions. The chapter continues on with prophecies about things that are going to happen here that are very important. Verse 14, for instance, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Jesus is actually looking at nations that haven't been discovered yet. There are nations he's talking about that they don't even know their nations yet. Right? And 15. When therefore you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains, and let him which is in the housetop not come down, and so forth. He's picking up a prophecy that Daniel had given years ago and now he's bringing that right into kind of an imminent future here that there's going to be tragedy and trouble come to the Jews to the place where this is going to be especially difficult for women because if you're with child during that time, it's going to be especially difficult. And and there's going to be tragedy and pain and suffering strike the Jews. And he didn't say it outright, but we know, looking with hindsight, God's not going to stand for you during that time. I mean, when Titus rolled in and did what he did, Brother Branham said the Jews did what they always did. They went to the temple and prayed to God. They looked at Jehovah. Jehovah didn't answer. And here they are now over 2,000 years, and they come down to where Hitler and Mussolini, you know, they, they caused, I mean, there were hundreds and hundreds of, children and babies that were killed when Titus came to Jerusalem. There was 1.5 million babies who died under Hitler and Mussolini. And no doubt, those Jews with their heritage, because the Jews miraculously retained their identity over all of those 2,000 years. When the Polish came to America, when the Irish came to America, guess what? They were all assimilated into the culture of the nation they emigrated to, right? Not the Jews. The Jews supernaturally, in a sense, retained their identity and their religion and their faith and their standards over all the years. So that when they went back to Israel, they were still in tune with Jehovah and the Old Testament writings of Moses and the prophets. And so they did the same thing. They prayed to God and they looked to God in the times of the Holocaust. And they were marked, which was, in a sense, a precursor the mark of the beast and they were marked with stars I saw the stars I saw what Anne Frank wore on her uh, on her jacket I saw the stars that were were uh, the, the golden uh, star of David that was put on the sleeves of the Jews and in, in, I saw them in Amsterdam and and uh, in um, uh, Auschwitz and different places like that. I mean, they were, they were literally marked as a people, and God did nothing. I mean, when we look at it, it was God leading them by His tender hand back to the tree of life, right? Hey, that's not how we would think that God's going to fulfill prophecy, right? But that's exactly what it was. It was God leading them back to the tree of life and bringing them back into Israel again. And all of these things here unfold. Uh, this has, in a sense... This has very little to do with the Gentile people over this whole period of time. But if you don't mind, just come down. And there's where I wanted to, uh, to, to just share with you. In verse 32, in the prophecies about the next 2,000 years, Jesus throws in a parable. He says, now learn a parable about the fig tree. Because there's going to be an Israel on the other side of all of this that God's going to deal directly with. And they're all going to come in And they're going to come in in a certain way under certain conditions. This is not the Israel you are a part of now. This is an Israel that will, that will stand up after 2,000 years when I resurrect them back in the land of Israel again. You see why we've moved on from 101 to 201? So now we have a bunch of prophecies that he gives, and all of those prophecies are significant. But right at the end of that, he says, now now that you have all the prophecies, let me throw in a parable on top of that, and I want you to consider this. And then he talks about Israel, and how they would come back, and how the Son of Man would be revealed, and all of these things that are going to come together in the last day. And guess what? God chose you to live in that last day and see it all. If you're living out, the fulfillment of the prophecies and you're living out all of the, uh, the things that, uh, that Jesus said would happen in this last day when the fig tree revives and resurrects and comes back and stands in the land now and, uh, is, is a nation fully recognized and fully, uh, capable of standing on its own, uh, by its own right in, in the land. Let me tell you, they were a people forsaken by God, scattered in all the earth. And the prophecy said that would happen. But the prophecies also said, I will bring you back in the land and I will establish you back in your homeland and I will be with you in Jerusalem and Jerusalem will be a burdensome stone to all the nations but I'll be there with you during that time when it all winds up. And you're living in the day when it's coming to pass. You're living in the day when it's happening. Prophecy reveals things that are hidden. Now, here's Brother Branham at the end of 1962. It's the New Year's service. And his prayer, who I've read to you many times, let's go to the second paragraph. Forgive us and help us raise up mighty men, mighty warriors of the faith, and open this year, Lord, that hidden manna, the rock beneath the rock, that we might see the program of God. That was his desire. There are things we haven't seen yet, but that God has in store for his people. So, Lord, the things that are for us, disclose those things to us and show us what you would have us to see. Now, let me give you an example of this. And uh, uh, just stay with me, all right? Everybody okay? If you need a drink, go on back. If you need lunch, hold on. Let's look at an example of prophecy being fulfilled. This is not what you'd predict. I've got a couple of examples here. It's not what you'd predict it would be a normal occurrence of events. Watch now, all right? Isaiah 31. "For thus hath the Lord spoken unto me, like as the lion and the young lion roaring on his prey, when a multitude of shepherds is called forth against him. He will not be afraid of their voice, nor abase himself for the noise of them, so shall the Lord of hosts come down to fight for Mount Zion, Mount Zion is where God hangs out with these people, and the hill thereof. The hill thereof is where Jerusalem sits. As birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending also, he will deliver it, and passing over, he will preserve it. So Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus even is on earth, He says, there'll come a day when the Lord will come down to fight for Mount Zion. He didn't when Titus showed up. Right? So it wasn't then. As a matter of fact, when he hung on the cross, he could have called legions of angels, but he didn't. So it wasn't then. So he says, the day will come when he will come down to fight for Mount Zion, for the hill thereof. As birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending also, he will deliver it. And passing over it, he will preserve it. So God says, there's going to come a time when this is out of the hands of the UN. This is out of the hands of armies. I'm going to come down and defend Jerusalem. I'm going to rescue it. I'm going to place myself there. And as birds flying, I'm going to defend it. And in doing that, I'm going to deliver it. And I'm going to preserve it. So once I rescue Jerusalem, nobody's going to take it away. Let me tell you something about the two-party process that politicians are always talking about in Israel. A two-state nation where they want to give a portion of the state of Israel uh, to the Palestinians and so forth. I will guarantee you, based on prophecy, that God is watching over Israel. It's not a piece of property that men have a right or the power to divide. It is God's hill. And when he's on the hill, he's the king of the hill. All right? Now watch what happened. There was a prophecy given by a Muslim teacher in the 10th century A.D. The man who will conquer Jerusalem and redeem it from the infidels for all time to come will enter the city humbly on foot. And his name is God's prophet. His name is God's prophet. That was a prophecy given in the 10th century. Whoever conquers Jerusalem and redeems it from the infidels, he will come in on foot and his name is God's prophet. December 9th, 1917, General Edward Allenby received orders to capture Jerusalem under the control of the Turks. Jerusalem was under the control of the Turks for hundreds of years. He wired London and he said, Can I fire upon Jerusalem for the sacredness of the city? How can I, how can I shoot guns uh, against the defending armies of, of Jerusalem, the Turks that are there? So he wired London trying to avoid shooting in the streets of Jerusalem and on the holy places. Isaiah 13, well, 31 was their reply. And he ordered planes to fly low over Jerusalem and drop leaflets telling the people to surrender the city, signed General Allenby. Now remember, these are Muslim Turks who were in the city. And as all these leaflets came down over the the town, and they all picked them up and read them, they looked at the message, they disregarded that, but they saw the name, Allenby. The Turks misread the name in their language and understood the name to be Allah, Nebi. Allah meaning God. Nebi meaning the prophet. The Turks surrounded the key of the city. The Turks surrendered the key of the city. Big difference. To Allenby, two days later, he walked into Jerusalem through the gates and no shots were fired. Now look, somebody ought to say amen. Somebody ought to say hallelujah. You know what that is? That's God fulfilling the book of Isaiah it says that he will walk into Jerusalem there as birds flying over and uh, allowing the planes to fly over for days over the city and dropping the uh, leaflets there. And all of a sudden, then General Allenby walks in and they hand him the keys to the city. There's no resistance. They've left. No shots fired. You know what it was? It wasn't Allenby's game plan. It was God who said, This is my city and I'm here, boys, to take it back. And confused the understanding of the heathen and had them misinterpret the name of Allenby in order to get him into the city and take it back over. And yes, he did rescue it from the hands of the infidel. You know what that is? That's God fulfilling his prophecies. Now I will guarantee you, it is God's city. It never goes back into the hands of the infidel again. It'll never be lost. From Allenby to 1967... The city was under, the, the country was under the rule of the British and Allenby and the forces there. Finally, in 1967 is when Moshe Dayan and the other soldiers came to the Wailing Wall and they had finally taken the mount and that's when they stood at the wall and they took their helmets off and laid their guns down and they wept at the side of the wall and Moshe Dayan signaled uh, his leaders Uh, his commanders, and said, we are at the wall, we are at the wall. And that ended the conquest of of the city of Jerusalem, and they uh, finally had complete control over all of it. Now watch what Brother Branham says, because if this is that significant, watch what he said, questions and answers on Hebrew. Now, if we could take back yonder and run back there and say, the decline of the world's war, when General Allenby had fought in till he hit the lines of Jerusalem, he wired back to the king of England and said, I don't want to fire on the city on account of the sacredness of it. What shall I do? And he said, pray. The king said, pray. And that's what they sent him to the scripture, Isaiah 31. And he flew over it again. Allenby and the plains flew over it. And when they did, they said, Allenby is coming. And they were Mohammedans in there and thought, Allah is coming. And they hoisted the white flag, surrendered, and Alibi marched into Jerusalem and took it without firing a shot, according to the prophecy, and turned it back over to the Jews. You know what we have? We have the beginning of God defending Jerusalem. He didn't do it in Titus. He does it here. And you know what? If this was the beginning of God fulfilling the prophecies about the restoration the defense and the preservation of Jerusalem, it will never, ever go back into the hands of non-Jews. Do you believe that? You know why? Because it's prophecy. He says, I will preserve it, meaning that I will keep a watch over this all the days that lay ahead. Zechariah chapter 1. I spent last night I was just reading through the book of Zechariah and all the different prophecies that are related to this. And the angel communed with me and said, Cry thou saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great jealousy. You know when this was? Long before Jesus stood on the earth. Hundreds of years. And here's Zechariah, who's a, a prophet of the Lord, who is uh, uh, dealing with the people who are in captivity. And he's talking about a Jerusalem He's talking about an Israel that hasn't even happened yet. This is not the Jerusalem and the Israel of his time. This is rather at the end of the Gentile dispensation, 2,000 years past the time of Christ. And Christ is not even there yet. You know what this is? This is light. Hello? Hello? This is light that God, that God is speaking long before anything uh, even exists that proves this. And therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies, and my house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. He didn't show those mercies in the time of Titus, or in the time of Jesus, or in the time of uh, when, when Rome conquered Israel. God allowed those conquerors to come. God allowed Alexander to come through. God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come through. And God did not stand and defend His people. Zechariah is pointing to a time when it will happen, and, and he says, My house shall be built in, it saith the Lord of hosts, and cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, my cities through, through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. This is all the promises that God is giving to, to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And the governors in chapter 12, you ought to take the book of Zechariah and read it and, and look at the things that are said in there. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, The inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength in the Lord of hosts their God. The governors of Judah, the leaders of, Ju- of, of Israel shall say in their heart, The inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength in the Lord of hosts their God. And in that day will I make the governors of Judah like a hearth of fire among the wood and a torch of fire in a sheath. And they will devour all the people around about. On the right hand and on the left. And Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. This is not just a gathering of Jews in New York City. This is a gathering of Jews in Jerusalem. And when Israel was established as a nation in 1948... Abdul Nasser, who was the president of Egypt, said, with all of the other Arab League nations around about, they all said, we are going to push Israel into the sea. They had enough manpower. If they just literally walked over on the soil of Israel, they could have forced all the people into the Mediterranean. And they vowed before the world, we're going to push Israel into the sea. And Abdul Nasser got everybody together uh, in 1948 and waged war against Israel. And Israel stood there. Let me tell you, in that time, I've mentioned to you before, Ezer Weissman and the other people who were a part of the Israeli Air Force back then, they had no money and they had no structure, they had no armed forces like they do now. And when they were practicing bomb dropping in their planes, they would take sacks of flour. And open up the cockpit and drop the sacks of flour out to calculate how, how uh, accurate they were with their target dropping on the ground. And that's how they did it because they couldn't spare the bombs. They only had so many bombs. Later on, that's when Golda Meir went to the uh, United States and sat down with Richard Nixon and said, Hey, we have nothing. We're on not the point of losing everything. We have nothing. And Richard Nixon, uh, I believe, was anointed of God to use uh, that time to uh, told Indira gone to go home. And there was all kinds of armed shipments that went to Israel. Let me tell you, it was not because of their ingenuity. It was not because of their strength that they stood. It was because God said, I am with you now, and I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to preserve you. This is my place. You are my place. People, I'm going to bring it together. Do you realize, folks, crank it ahead and realize that we are Israel today in this real sense that the reason we stand and the reason we survive and the reason we still have an understanding and a cause to rejoice is not because of our own ability, but because God said, I will be with you, even in you, until the end of the age. And that is our preservation. That is the reason we stand. That's the reason that we're here today. Verse 7, and the Lord shall save the tents of Judah first. And the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. And in that day the Lord shall defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We are called in this age to be salt and light. Right? Christians are called to be salt and light. I will tell you something. People in the world do not like our light. They do not like the light we walk by. Many of them disdain the light we walk by. We believe that light, truth, uh, honesty, and integrity comes from the Word of God, right? We believe that. We teach our children that. We preach that here every Sunday. Guess. Make a guess. Make a stab. How long do you think we'll be able to preach this over the airwaves? In a world where now... Smart computers are shutting down people who say things that don't fit within the algorithm designed to flag speech that narrows, narrows the perception that everybody's equal. Let me tell you, the laws are not a million miles away. The laws are not a million miles away. The laws are here. Take a stab. How long do you think we're going to have the freedoms that we have to be able to do what we do? Salt is an enemy to... Uh, to to rot uh you know like if if somebody takes uh salt and they put it on meat or fish or something it preserves it right it's a preservative and that's what we are we are we are salt we are an enemy to uh hybriding we are an enemy to uh decay we are an enemy to breakdown that's what we are and we are in a sense we are a, a thorn in the side of this world's flesh i will i will i will submit to you that i believe we are uh, not not individually. I don't believe that you know uh, the government's going to be hunting you as an individual or you as an individual. I don't believe that it's going to happen that way. I believe that there is going to be legislation that happens and rules that come into play that are designed in an overarching way to restrict the freedoms and make us make us or force us to operate within boundaries that they have now established that they consider to be right and appropriate. We are going to be forced to mo- operate within those boundaries. And they're not, say- not going to ever say, I don't believe they're ever going to say, you people that believe the message, you're going to have to show up at prison tomorrow at 4 o'clock. I don't think it's going to happen. They're going to say, the boundary markers have changed. And now they're here. And if you want to worship, you're going to have to worship in here. And if you don't, you're going to be contrary to the law. And I believe that we are living on the doorstep of all of that happening. And I will say this to you, and I will say this publicly, that I believe that if what I'm saying is true about what God promised about Israel... That they were the off-scouring of the world, but God promised to bring them back. Not only to bring them back and establish them in the land, but He said, I will protect you, I will defend you, and I will preserve you. All the time that you're on the earth. All the time that you're back in Jerusalem, I'll be there with you. I believe the same promise applies to us. That God said, I will bring you into the, into the presence of the Prince of Peace. I will bring you to the foot of the tree of life. I will bring you into the light of this day. And I will not only introduce you to that light, but I'm going to take away your sins. I'm going to establish communion with you in a way that you never thought possible. And besides that, I'm going to preserve you until your body's actually going to drop. I believe those are things for us. Now, I, I... Sometimes university classes go a little bit longer than normal classes. So just give me a minute, all right? You're big now. You're in second year college. (coughs) I'll pick this up again, but I want to just drop this in here with you. In the book of Haggai, And you don't need to turn to it. If you go to Matthew, turn left. It's, it's back there. If you go to Daniel, turn right. Uh, it's the third last book of the Old Testament. But read this portion of it with me. Haggai gathers the people together, and he says, Who among you saw the house in its first glory? How many of you people were alive when we left Jerusalem, and the house was the temple? The house he's talking about is the temple. Now, you remember that the the temple that that the Old Testament refers to here was the building that they all worshipped in. But that was not really the whole goal, right? A building was not really what God was talking about. I mean, yes, he made temples, and yes, he made a tabernacle in the wilderness, but wasn't God looking for something greater than just a, a tabernacle like that? Jesus himself became a high priest of a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building. What what God was looking for was to be able to tabernacle in you. And the only way he could do that was through a perfect sin sacrifice, right? So when we talk about temple back in the Old Testament, this was a hint of what was coming. This This is what... it's actually, in a sense, it's kind of an expression of grace in the Old Testament. All this talk about temple was really God showing us that up upcoming, the word temple is going to mean something very different to you than what it does now. Do you understand why Jesus said what he did to the disciples in Matthew 24? Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Because he was pointing at the real thing. Right? Or... Use this as an example. This is a strange example. Deuteronomy 22.10 Thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. Thou shalt not wear a garment of diverse sorts of woolen and linen together. Really? Why can't you wear woolen and linen, woolen clothes and linen clothes together? There's one word in the answer. Forgive me for using it, Lincoln. Relax. The reason that you can't wear wool and linen together is because wool makes you sweat. Sweat is the difference. In the Middle East, if you're wearing wool, you're going to sweat. If you're wearing linen, it's much cooler. You go back and look at the description of the curtains and the hangings in the Old Testament tabernacle, you know, the tabernacle in the wilderness. Guess what all those curtains were made of? Linen. When David became the king and they put on his head an ephod, guess what it was made out of? linen everything that came to the the subject of redemption in the old testament was excuse me was made of linen because wool makes you sweat go one step further as you're in college now and realize when it comes to your redemption god didn't want you to sweat at all he wanted you to come in without any work or works on your part at all. We come in by grace. It's not through our blood. It's not through our sacrifice. It's not through our sweat at all that we are the children of God, right? It's without money, without price. So God says in the Old Testament, this is, this is in a sense grace in the Old Testament, it's a foreshadow. You know what? We don't have the same laws up here now in woolen. How many of you are wearing wool and linen today and the Holy Spirit didn't check you at the door? Right? Because you know what? We have that fulfilled now when we come under the blood of Christ, because it's not our works at all, but what He sacrificed on our behalf. Right? So, in a sense for us, hey, there's no wool. We got no wool in the game at all. We're here by linen. Wow. We're here by linen, sorry. We are here by the grace of God. And it's not our sweat that's got us to where we are today. It's by the linen of Almighty God. Glory to God. And, And He took upon Himself the pain, the suffering, the sacrifice, the sweat, the blood. He took upon Himself all of that. And you didn't come in by wool. You came in by linen. And you go back and do your own study and look back there and find out when it comes to redemption, everything about it mentions linen. And not wool, because God did not want you at all. God did not want you at all to labor in this whole process. So when Haggai gathers everybody around and says, Hey, look, how many of you were alive when we left Jerusalem and saw Solomon's temple, the one that he built? It was pretty good, wasn't it? He said, let me tell you something. The one that's coming, way better. Not even built yet. The one that Jesus walks into, it's not restored yet. Nehemiah and all of those guys, they all restore that. But it's not built yet. But here's, here's Haggai saying, you know what? The glory of this, of this new temple that's coming. He says, uh, God says, I will shake the heavens and the earth and so forth. I'll shake the nations and the desired nations shall come and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. You know where that house was when, when Haggai was speaking? It was still in ruins. That's what Nehemiah and Ezra came back to, and the whole thing is in ruins. And they looked at it, and they wept, and they said, my goodness, this is the house of God. You know what? Hey, guys, looking at a house, that's not even built yet. It's not even restored yet. But he's saying, the glory of this former house. He said, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts, and the glory of this latter house. Hey, listen, when God prophesies, right, there's something coming. When we build monuments, when we build temples, when we build memorials, they're all about things we've done in the past. But when God talks about memorials, it's always things that are coming ahead. Because God knows the house that's going to be built. He knows the temple that's coming. And he was not just talking about, hey, this is going to be a better church. This is going to be a better sanctuary. Uh, He's talking about, you know, God's going to move on from just buildings made with stone and and sheetrock. He's going to move on to actually taking sinful creatures and actually dwelling in them. By the grace of God and by the shed blood of the Lamb, I'm actually going to live in them and take an old beat up old temple and live in it and show my glory through it. So when you go and act like a Christian, it's God showing his glory through that old temple that he's restored. That's not you. And that's not your wool. That's His linen that brought you to the place where now it's His grace that shows His nature through you. And let me tell you, you weren't born in the nature of Christ. You didn't grow up and show the nature of Christ. I talked to your brother. You didn't, you didn't exhibit any of that. But God says, let me get my hands on Him. Let me take Him and renovate Him. And let me, put my, let me put my spirit in there. Take His stony heart out and put my heart in there. And watch what I can do in a temple like that. Not because of His works, but because of God's grace. That's what He does. And listen, folks, that's what He's done every one of us. By God's grace, is taken that old temple that you were and fill it with His glory. And say, you guys remember the old temple? Ha, ah, this new one. Ah, you ain't seen nothing yet. Wait till I get through building this new temple. And Jesus stands there. And they said, show us the Father. He said, hey, you see me, you see the Father. You're looking at a human temple. The human temple is not what's important. It's what's in there. It's what's inside that temple is what's important. Just like the temple that, um, that Solomon built, it wasn't necessarily the bricks. It was what happened inside the bricks that was what was important, right? It's not so, it's not so great that you're here in church. Let me tell you, it's great when Christ has control and has a vessel that he can climb into, and he can preach, and he can believe, and he can sing, and he can worship, and he can, he can show kindness to somebody, and he can give an offering to somebody, and he can go on the mission field. God can take an old vessel that had, had plans and ambitions and had goals, that I wanted to marry this guy, and I wanted to do this, I wanted to do this, and God has such control over that temple that he can just take that and say, oh, you're going that way, let me just sh- turn you this way, and let me shift this way, and let me shift this way. And a surrendered temple is exactly what God's after. Can I have another minute? That's enough. That's a majority for me. Just give me me a minute. I will promise you I'll take just a minute. To me, this is one of my my favorites. I've got a lot of them, but this is one of my favorites. Nehemiah, building walls, doors, gates, restoration plus... Restoration on steroids. And here they are. They have the first real church service in the new sanctuary. And they're in there. And One of the first things that happens is they take the book. Now, they've been out of church a long time. They've not held church in the temple in Jerusalem because they've been in exile for 70 years. They haven't had this for a long time. So Nehemiah tells the scribe, Take the book and read the book. You know what the reaction of the people is? They all weep. They're all upset. They read in the book of the law, God distinctly. Now, if you don't mind, let me just... I know know it's long, but just give me a second here. In Nehemiah, the eighth chapter, all the people gathered themselves together as one man. They spoke, and then Ezra spoke to the scribe. And bring the book of the law of Moses. And he brought the book of the law. And they all stood there. And they heard the words of the law. And it says that they, they bowed their heads. And they, they were forlorn when they, when they heard the reading of the word. And initially, when they heard the word... They saw themselves as living way below what the book said. This is what God requires. This is what God has said. And you know what? This is where God's word is. This is where we are. And the people reacted to that and said, man, we're lost. And here they are in a a time of rejoicing, a time of restoration. But the feeling that the people have is that, you know what, we... We, we've, not, we've not done this. We, we've not lived this way. We've been out of, out of harmony with God. And in a sense, they pause. And when they pause, Nehemiah, he, he jumps up and he says to them, and he, uh, he says to Ezra the scribe, he says, This day is holy unto the Lord God. Mourn not, nor weep. That's the words he uses there. The, re- the response of the people when they heard the word was that they mourned. They wept. And he says, hey, stop that. Stop that. That's that's contrary to how God wants you to react to this. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, go your way and eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions unto them whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord, and neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And he says, so the Levites still all the people. And you remember what the Levites did When when the people heard the word and they mourned and they wept, the Levites were commissioned to go among the people and make sure they had the understanding of the word, right? They went went around in the congregation and they made sure everybody had the understanding of the word. And and when they did that, Nehemiah says now, he says, you folks that are here under the hearing of this word, he says, you you have an understanding of it. Don't be sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites still the people and said, hold your peace, for this day is holy, neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and make mirth because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. They were now happy because they realized you know what, even though that the Word of God is on this level and we're on this level that God by His grace has given us an understanding of the book and let us know by His grace and this is Old Testament grace here by His grace that we are a people who are given insight into the Word of God and God gives understanding of His Word to His people that He wishes to redeem. God does not give the understanding of His Word to everybody, right? If if God gave everybody in Hickory an understanding of the Word, guess where they'd all be? Not where they are today, right? But God gives an understanding of His Word to the people that He has redeemed, the people that He loves. And He gathers that people together. And Nehemiah says, Hey, this is God's grace to you to give you the understanding of the Word. And when you get the understanding of the Word, don't weep and mourn and judge yourselves. Hey, God has judged you as fit for the understanding of the principles of the kingdom. And this is what God intended to do was to restore His people back into a place of glory, into a place of grace, into a place of forgiveness again. He says, not Don't don't mourn, but rather rejoice and take meat and drink for everybody. Everybody should be thankful during this time and worship God. This is not a time of mourning. This is a time of great grace given to God's people. And accept what God's given and accept what God has shown you. And let me tell you something, saints of God. I believe that God has given to us a great understanding of the things of the book. Not because... You're perfect in your conduct. And not because you get everything right. And not because you've attended church and never missed a Sunday over over the, you know, 2020. That's not why God blesses you. It's because of what He thought of you from before the foundation of the world. And your name was on the Lamb's Book of Life. And God comes all the way down through despite you and gives you an understanding of the book. And says, this is my grace to, you, to this people to have an understanding of the prophecies and the promises and the program of God and the hidden things that were reserved to this last day. God has preserved you for this hour and he has given great treasures to you because you live in this hour. Not because you're smarter. Not because you get everything right in life. But because you've been predestinated to this end. And Nehemiah says, don't react wrongly. React right. Rejoice. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. And he says, and go forth. Go to your homes and go rejoice. And realize this is God's grace to you to give you an understanding of the mysteries that have been hidden in the last 2,000 years. And God's given us an understanding of things. Not because you've earned it. Not because you've figured it all out. But because he loves you. He's chosen you. For that we should be thankful. For that, we should rejoice. For that, we should never grow tired of getting together and hearing the promises of God and the the prophecies of God and the good things that God has said about our time. Because it's all meant to get you from here to there. It's all meant to get you from glory to glory. We're not walking just a road. We're not walking just a a pathway. You're on a train track. You know what's unique about a train track? There's no turns, right? There's no yield signs on a train track. Musicians, come on. Everybody will listen if I, if I promise you I'm ending. That's the promise. Look, on a train track, you only go one way. You don't go in reverse, right? You better not. On a train track, uh, all, all you do is get in it at the beginning and get off at your destination, right? We're on a train track, and a train track is from glory to glory. Glory to glory, even as by the glory of the Lord. Even as by the Spirit of the Lord, it's from glory to glory. So, if you're sitting in a train car, like you are now, and you're on your way, we know we're on our way somewhere. The whole world is on its way somewhere, right? If you're a Gentile, you're on your way somewhere. If you're, on a, if you're a Jew, you're on your way to a different place. But if you're a Gentile, you're on your way somewhere. And there's a, there's a train that's on its way to glory. I said there's a train that's on its way to glory. And as we pass through every stop of the way, you look out and see the name of the town, it's glory. And you go to the next town, it's glory. You go to the next town, glory. Next town, glory. And you know what you're doing? You're going from glory to glory to glory to glory. Until one day you're glorified. You're taken out of here and you step into a glorified body. And you're on a train so you can't turn, Right? God's got us on a one-way path. God's got us on a, on a on a track that knows no retreat. It knows no turns. It knows no veering off. It's just a track all the way to glory. God's got you there. And God prophesied and said that there would be a group of people who would they would catch that. They would know that. They would understand that. Hello. You're that people. Let's stand to our feet. From glory to glory, he's changing me, changing me. <clears throat> From glory
3: to glory, He's changing me, changing me, yes, He's changing me, His likeness and image to perfect in me, the love of God shown to the world, for He's changing, changing me from earthly things to the heavenly his likeness and image to perfect in me. Gee, love of God shown to the world. Singing it again. Oh, from glory to glory. He's changing me. Changing me. Yes, he's changing me. The love of God shown to the world. For he's changing change in me from earthly things. World, how
4: are you in G? Put it in the, put it in G there if you will. How great is our God
3: Sing with me, how great is our God. Great, how great. Jaron, come on up. Help me sing. Here. God. Once again now. Oh, how great is our God. Sing with me, how Splendor of a
4: King Sing it now Let's just worship Him this morning God's grace to us, folks. We live in the last day with such great light, great truth. Paul says, we read in the very beginning, he said, I see through a glass darkly. I I, I see as a child. I see as someone who's not reached maturity yet. I know there are more things there. I know there are things that are there, but they're out of focus. or There are things that are gray. I don't see it yet. Let me tell you, we're not living in that age. We're not living in that age. We're living in an age where the light has come. shall be light about the evening time. Living in a time when things are made known. <clears throat> he left his splendor of heaven.
1: He left the splendor of heaven. No
4: saints of God where this is leading to is prophecies that are stated about you and about where the glory and the presence of God is today it's not in a prophet I believe his presence is among his bride and therefore we should hold our heads high because we are the chosen we are the called We are tabernacles of His dwelling. And I say to you, without having faith in ourselves, we have faith in the God who's in us. And I say this today, that if you have a need today, you draw upon that faith you have of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Draw from His presence that is here with us today in this building. Reach out to Him. Whatever your need is, let me tell you, our God is not too overwhelmed by that need today. Heavenly Father, we join our faith together now in prayer and believing that you are a God who cares about everything that we could experience in this life. And Lord, you have raised us up in this last day to love you, to worship you, to fellowship with you, and to walk in spirit and in truth. This is not a time, Lord, for mourning for God's people this is a time like Nehemiah encouraged the people to rejoice to share in the good things that God has given to us and yes we look at ourselves and our own life many times we have a sense of dissatisfaction but Lord when you look at us you look at us through the blood of Christ and we enjoy the forgiveness of sins we enjoy the purity of your presence now, Lord, I pray that you would just minister to each and every one. There are people here, Lord, that need your strength. They need your touch. They need confidence. They need, Lord, their spirits lifted up. And I just commit them to you. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would just draw near, Lord, to those that are by faith. They have their hands up. They're looking to you. They're reaching out to you, Lord. They, they have petitions. They have specific things that they're asking you to deal with. Lord, You have hinted at grace in the Old Testament. But now, Lord, we know it's by grace we are saved. By grace we stand. And You have shown great grace to us in this last day. Father, may Your Holy Spirit just be strong on behalf of Your people. We're going to make it. You've already said we would. And We lean upon You. We look to you. Have your way, Lord, we pray. Have your way among us. Continue, Lord, to reveal yourself to us. And that we might worship you, Lord. Not because we have to, but we worship you because we want to. Lord, minister now to your saints, I pray. We'll give you thanks and praise in Jesus' lovely name. Thank you, Jesus.
3: Thank you, Jesus. And I know His speed verse now again. Sing that chorus.
4: Your grandmother. I had that written down. I didn't mention that. May God bless you and your family. Certainly prayed with you this week. God bless you as you go today. At night, I